right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hello, how's it going? This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Um, I want to start off today's show by taking some stock, some inventory on where we're at with the KU basketball defense following the game against Oklahoma. And now, uh, what, five games into Big 12 play, four games, whatever it is. Um, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, in about 35 minutes. We'll also have Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports at 425. It's been no secret that KU has been more of an offensive team than a defensive team. Um, it seems that the biggest questions about the defense maybe came during the week they had that that tournament Thanksgiving uh the ESPN events invitational or whatever is called in Orlando you give a bunch of points to Iona you had trouble stopping Dayton in those games um but it's it's it hasn't been as much of a talking point since then because of the fact that a you're just winning games and b a lot of these games have been blowouts and c so far in big 12 play you're playing a lot of teams that maybe have lower end offenses so if you look at the total score you know, you're sitting there in the loss to Texas Tech. Like, you give up 75, which doesn't look terrible, but it was a slower possession game, and it actually was kind of a bad defensive game. Or you have the Iowa State game, which was a pretty good defensive game, or the West Virginia game, which was a very good defensive game for KU holding them under 30%. So I want to take some stock on this defense. Um, a couple things, I think, to note right now. Um, the first would be it's just in a couple ways been very different from what they were in – the non-conference portion of of the season to now what they are in conference play in a couple ways, they were forcing a good amount of turnovers. They were actually doing a, a pretty solid job, uh, not like a lead or anything, but at getting defensive rebounds. So far in conference play, they've been terrible at both. They are last in the Big 12 in forcing turnovers. They are last in the Big 12 in defensive rebound percentage. Those need to get back toward maybe closer to what they were in non-conference play, clearly. The the, the thing that's helping the defense, though, from where they are now to where they were before, teams are just not making shots against them. Um, the two-point defense, I think, is is probably more controllable. Teams are only shooting 44% from twos against them. It's 48% if you take into the non-con. Like, the non-con, they were struggling there. But teams are, are just not shooting well from three against them in conference play. It's 25.6%. And that has to be a little scary that what happens if that reverts to the mean and it goes up to 30% or something like that. Where are we going to be at with this defense at that point? And Newell said in no uncertain terms, and I think anybody who follows um, kind of the more advanced analytics, it's been kind of proven out, the numbers anyway, suggest time and time again that you have more control over your two-point defense than over your three-point defense. And if you just watch the games, the fact of the matter is KU is kind of getting lucky 
on some of their opponents, not all, but some of them missing open threes. Um, not necessarily they're not necessarily giving a bunch of shots that should fall eighty percent of the time, but they are giving up shots that maybe should fall fifty percent of the time that have as of now are maybe falling only thirty five percent of the time. So you gotta think there's a regression or, or a progression, depending on which angle you're looking at it from, back to at least close to average. Um and I, you know, we, there are certain things you can, we kind of joke, or I kind of joked with Newell about uh, Groves and, and was his, you know, was his less than stellar shooting night for Oklahoma just a regression because of how hot he was against, as, as a player for Eastern Washington. That was somewhat of a joke, but in the long run, these things tend to go back or up to closer to the average. Now, I think KU can, I would still declare it a success you may have a few games where it looks ugly, but if for the season KU winds up in the Big 12 having a, a three-point defense around 28%, that's going to that's gonna lead to some some a lot of made threes between now and the end of the season. But over the course of the season, that's still fine. Oh, absolutely. And, I'm uh, not, and, and I'm not, it may even be white, higher than that. But I do think I'd be interested to see, do you have any way of seeing what KU's two-point defense would be without that Texas Tech game? Uh, no. If not, that's, that's no... We, not off the top we, of my head, at least. We'll, we'll yeah. have to drill through the actual numbers of each game. But point being, you, you would imagine, because they were just, you know, torched in the paint that night, you would imagine that it's been even better in, in those other... in the non-Texas Tech game. Mm -hmm. Well, this will, uh, like... This will make you feel better. Baylor's at 27.6, which is second. So maybe they were too for some regression also. By the way, Oklahoma teams are shooting 40% against them from three. That is going to revert down for them, and they could end up having a, a nice hot stretch at some point. They're, um, they're a little, yeah. yeah. And that may, we're going to do our stock market later, and that may be relevant then. It has to help, too. The KU is first in the conference in three-point attempts basically allowed. Like, a how many of the opponent's shots are coming from two, coming from three, they're leading the conference in the least amount of three-point attempts they're seeing. So I, I would guess that that's more, I don't know, I, yeah. I would guess that's more controllable than actually which of those yeah, shots go in. Teams, unless it's late in the shot clock or you have some, they're, and they're just you know, Jim or Fredette guy who, who is going to shoot those, they're not going to shoot fully contested shots. So yeah. that, that does help, but I'm assuming it's going to go up. But here's here's where I'm at. If Even if it does go up, can you get better at the forcing turnovers? And maybe this just isn't a team that's that's good at forcing turnovers, but can you not be last in the Big 12? If you if you just get middle of the pack in the Big 12 and, and getting steals, which is going to help your offense, in forcing turnovers, so, and, and go up from, again, they're last in the Big 12 in, in defensive rebound rate. So if is, you can go up from last to middle of the pack in both of those categories, even if the three-point shooting goes up that your defense is allowing, I think those things might kind of... Uh, equal out with each other that you can still be at least a good enough defense, barring the fact that your offense continues to be elite, for you to be a real contender. Is that um, the the forced turnovers, is that any turnover that the other team has, or is that exclusively turnovers that KU actively commits? So steal rate is specifically, I, I'm talking defense here. 
So mm-hmm. steal rate yeah, yeah, is, not, is not how many K, yeah. but the, the KU benefits from. Yeah. So how many steals that KU forces with their defense is steal rate. Turnover rate is all turnovers. Uh, so how and many times dead, are they dead them, last in both? Yes. So how See, many the, times you're getting them to? It could be running into a charge. It could yeah. Be them throwing the ball away, right? And, and the problem is, we've even looked at and some of their opponents in Big Twelve play. Oklahoma being one of them have actually been one of the, some of the worst teams nationally in terms of uh turnovers that don't necess- that of non-steal turnovers basically. So that kind of tells you that even in the teams that commit turnovers that aren't steals um KU is still not benefiting from those which is I think somewhat even more um now again maybe if if Look, if 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 the the three point shot, if the three point percentage is going to head back, you know, a, a, in the favor of KU's opponents to get back to the the average, um, then you'd have to think that some of those will start working more in KU's favor. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I th- I think it is just a I don't know. Maybe this goes back to Remy Martin, and What's, you need another guy to kind of pressure the ball. What um, would, what would you, what what concerns you? I guess more. The amount of, I guess, what concerns you more in Big Twelve play the the de- the actual the way the defense is playing, or the fact that KU has only like if I let me reword this if I could give you one thing, I will give you KU going back and becoming a fifth to sixth ranked defense in all of those categories, or in the fifth or sixth scoring defense in in the Big 12 so average or KU's offense starts humming a lot more like we saw in the non-con um i mean it's tough because yes the offense is not humming as much as we saw in the non-con but that could but that's probably opponent driven it's probably probably also that and and it's not like it's it's been bad all of a sudden like it's still been very good oh it yeah there's still been, what fifth Nationally, well, they moved up to third. Today third in nationally, Palm, which... so they still have a great offense. I guess I just mean like, what's a more likely way for this team to win? We we talked yesterday. You know, a lot of Bill Self teams, a lot, um, and maybe it was Newell that brought this up, or maybe it was you that talked about uh, Self said that the identity of a lot of his teams would rather have or be on defense up one and have to stop a team, and this team might be more like a team that would rather have the ball down mm-hmm. one. And have a chance to put it away that way, um, and but in in the in the larger sense of that, would you rather have? Um, I, I guess it, would you rather if if I could give you a, a an a pr- improvement in either, and maybe this is too easy of a question because there's much more room to improve defensively. Um, I guess I, I'm I'm I guess what's been more important, I guess, or what will be more important in the long run. KU maintaining a really great offense or KU building on what is a fine defense? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the offense. Um, it's just different expectations for the defense. Everything I'm saying here with the defense, I'm, I'm not under the estimation of, hey, can you make this a top 10 defense? I, I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, I, I think as is now, if, if you were to say the profile of a team with the third best offense, the 35th best defense, that is a good enough team to win a title. If you just look at it historically, um, those teams have done, they can win a title like that. But you make it a lot easier on yourself if you can improve that defense to be top 25 or something. Purdue, for example, is ranked fourth in Ken Palm. They have the number one offense, which is ahead of KU. 
but their defense is almost they're 69th in the country. Mm-hmm. So their defense is 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 um beyond I mean it's not terrible but it's it's certainly not average. Yeah, I'm pretty mean. sure every national champion has been top 37 in everything. In Ken Palm on defense. Um well in both. Yeah. Uh so, you know, get in that range. And right now they are. But yeah, when those three points right start falling against them, that that's what you worry. And and I look at this Oklahoma game specifically after bringing this up with the defense because against Oklahoma times in the game they were able to really get openings on you inside and and they were able to get some easy layups and I don't know where I should stand on that because the the reaction right away to the game would be you know defense wasn't good enough and as Jesse brought up like if Oklahoma hits a couple of maybe some open three-point looks that they normally hit then all of a sudden it's a different result because of that and because of just the maybe you getting a little lucky from three-point range defensively you were able to maybe scathe by there. But also, I could look at this and say, listen, I know Oklahoma had a, a, a good game with getting twos. They shot 51% against you from two-point range, which is more than, than Bill Self and KU wants to allow. You could also view it and say, yeah, but Oklahoma coming into that game was shooting 60% on twos. So holding them to 51% is a, is a success. Is a success. I think at this point in the year, I mean, you're, you're, you're approaching halfway. You're not quite, but you're approaching halfway through conference play. And you are beyond halfway in your overall season. Everybody is. I would say at this point, if you if you hold a team below their average, in or if your offense scores above the average of whatever that other team is doing, if you make them play worse than their average, I would. And of course, you win. I think that's a success. Yeah. Um. I mean, you're the by this point because you kind of know what each team is now. Well, the tough stretch that they have coming up is going to feature some good two-point offenses. Texas Tech and Kentucky are both top 25 in the country at it. Baylor is top 35 in the country at it. Texas is top 50. Then you get Oklahoma again, who had just mentioned how good they are at it. Like, you're going to you're gonna be tested. We're going to see what this two-point defense is if it really has gotten a lot better since the Texas Tech game because against Iowa State, um, against West Virginia, and then, like I said, even though against Oklahoma, the numbers aren't great if you compare them to who you're playing. They're pretty good. Against Iowa State, you held them under 44%. Against West Virginia, again, they shot 27% from the field. They were 29% on twos. So you did a good job the last three games. Is this a change? What is it? Um, I do think there is a heavy correlation, though, with how the defense plays because the biggest thing for how a Bill Self defense plays, he operates under the notion of get easy baskets, don't give up easy baskets, right? And... To not give up easy baskets basically means how's your rim protection? How is your two-point defense, essentially? And, uh, I mean, so far, I I mentioned KU has number three in the Big 12 in two-point defense. They're number two in the Big 12 so far in conference play and and in block percentage. One of those those games includes a game in which they were outscored in the paint, Mm -hmm. which obviously are all two-point shots. 44-18. 44-18. The way I kind of look at it, I feel like the West Virginia game, which was such an outlier on one end of the Texas Tech game, which might be an outlier on the other, they kind of just equal out. Yeah, so if you it take out your out. biggest and your lowest, mm-hmm. you, you, then, then what you have in the middle is probably who you are. I just, I'm, I'm going to stick with, in general, if if you if your defense is, if, if you hold a team below their average in two-point offense... I will, I will call in a game. I'll call that a success. Well, and, and of course, get the win. Here's here's what I was saying. Here, what I was leading up to. Um, David McCormick, I think, plays a a huge role 
in how this team's defense is going to play. When you look at defensive rating, which is basically a look at how the team performs per 100 possessions when you're on the floor. Zach Clements actually has the best D rating on the team, but that's such a small sample size. He's played 69 total minutes over the course of the season. David McCormick's played 322. So this is a much better sample. David McCormick has the best D rating on the team, 89.4. Teams are only scoring 89 points per 100 possessions on KU when David McCormick is in the game. The next best marks, Jalen Wilson's at 92, uh, Christian Brown's at 93, Mitch Lightfoot's at 94. Uh, you're trying not to get to around 100, but like you have guys like Remy Martin's at 97, so forth. Um, David McCormick is the team's best interior defender. David McCormick is a better positional defender just because of his size and everything than a guy like Mitch Lightfoot. And David McCormick is also your second best defensive rebounder, only behind Jalen Wilson. And that is a part of a defensive possession. Can you finish the defensive possession with the rebound? David McCormick is also your team leader of, um, you know, guys who play the most. I guess Mitch Lightfoot has a slightly better block percentage, but David McCormick's right there. He is your best interior big man. He gives you your best rim protection when he's on the floor. And when you look at KU's worst games at two-point defense— the Dayton game and the Texas Tech game. And those also are both games that KU lost. Well, what are some commonalities that happened in the Dayton game and the Texas Tech game? David McCormick was not really playing much. Yeah. And and to his own fault. I'm not saying this is, you know, something. So pretty much what I'm saying here. Foul issues both times. Is that, it? was it against Texas Tech? I, I don't even think he started against Tech. It was, it was Mitch Lightfoot still after was the uh, Oklahoma State game. And you had Zach Clements play like nine minutes against Texas Tech. He just wasn't trusted in that game. In the Dayton game, remember the Dayton game was the one where everybody was was shouting like, we have to make a move. We have to do something different now mm-hmm, with Dave. Mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. was the first game really this season that it was like, okay, this is not, you know, second half Dave from last year. It's back to first half Dave. And those two games where he didn't play as much or he didn't have as big of a role, coincided with that. I'm not saying it all has to do with that. There's more stuff that goes into it as well, but I don't think that's just a coincidence. And then you also have the added part of this where basically to keep Dave on the court, you need him to be performing well on offense and getting rebounds and to perform well on offense for Dave. It really is just about like, there's certain guys who like Jalen Coleman lands for him to be successful on a a game like it comes down to whether he makes the three or doesn't, right? It, it really just does. For other guys like Dewan Harris, it doesn't as much come down to are you making shots or not. For guys like Christian Brown, Ochag Baji, certainly them making shots is important, but they do other things that if they go three of 10 one game, they can still impact the game in a lot of different ways. With Dave offensively, it really does just come down to is he making the shot or not? And that'll get his confidence going. That will keep him on the floor offensively. That will make it so that he's not kind of just in in like the train wreck mode. So basically, for KU's defense to get to the level or or be at their best would be with Dave on the court. And for Dave to be on the court, it's because he has to have good offensive games. So pretty much that's what this comes down to. David McCormick has to be good offensively for KU to have a good defense. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say... Yeah, I would say the only caveat I would give to that is if Jalen Wilson can continue playing, like if, if he can be one somebody that picks up the slack that, that is lagging when David McCormick isn't having a good offensive game, 
then that would be an argument for. But see, Jalen's not a rim protector. No, hang on, hang on. But let me let me stay with this. If Jalen can, if I agree with your overall notion, I would say if there's any exception or any way you can keep Dave on the floor because the team is better defensively with him in, it would be if what if if Dave is lacking offensively on a night. If it happens to be a night where you're getting your normal stuff out of Ochai, you're getting your normal stuff out of Christian Brown, and Jalen Wilson continues to be hot offensively, that would at least be an argument for self-keeping David McCormick on the floor mm-hmm. well, to therefore play defense. Uh, you're exactly like, right. The, because... the, most, the, the most reliable way to do it is to have Dave himself play well on offense. But if, short of that, they will need a third person behind Christian and um, and Ochai to pick up what's missing from Dave McCormick's defense or offense if he's having a bad offensive night. And that's the only way, short of him scoring himself, that's the only way to make sure he stays on the court to, to keep this defense at, at its peak. Yeah, you're exactly right because he only had six points on three of seven against Oklahoma, but Jalen had such a good offensive game, he was able to play 26 minutes. It, it, I think it more so goes into the... The fact of Dave has to be engaged in the game. It can't be one of those games like, okay, against Texas Tech, he played 14 minutes. He went one of three from the field. He had four points. Against Dayton, he went two of six from the field with, I don't know, a couple turnovers in that game. Like He has to be engaged in the game because he is your best chance to be your best defense and you need him on the floor. It doesn't he doesn't need to be a a, a double double. That's a little scary to me though. That's a little scary that of how yes, because of how inconsistent he has been of how important he is to unlocking this team's best defense, right? Yeah, that yeah, it was probably it was it was I'm trying to look back. I mean, the last time KU had a national player of the year candidate, it was Frank Mason in twenty seventeen. And I'm trying to think, was was Mason who was Mason who, who was the, the probably most reliable piece to that puzzle? Was it Josh Jackson? I guess my point is, is is the ideal scenario always is if you have a National Player of the Year candidate, you want them to also be your most important player. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way. And and I think what we're seeing from this is the biggest difference. Because Ochai is so steady, um, we can kind of just take for granted what he's going to do. And so it just happens to be in this case the most important player or the biggest difference between KU at their ceiling and KU at their floor happens to be one of their most inconsistent players. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We will talk with Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World coming up in 13 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll be joined by Matt Tate coming up in less than 10 minutes from right now. One of the things that I, I want to talk to Matt about, um, something that I've, I've just kind of picked up with – you know, now I think three games that KU has, has really needed a, a last, I don't know, second shot or possession or whatever. It's basically the Dayton game, Iowa State and Oklahoma. Now, if you want to include Stephen F. Austin, you can. Um, I don't because even that shot by Remy Martin was, there, there wasn't even, like, there was over a minute left, right? Um, it, it was, it was, 
It's hovering around a minute. Yeah. I yeah. can't remember exactly. So I, I'm but. going with like end of game yeah, 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 scenario, yeah. right? And maybe I shouldn't even include Dayton for that uh, notion because of the fact that. That was to put him up three. Yeah. But it was KU's last offensive possession with with the chance to basically bury the game at that point. Um, All three of those games featured a different last shot option. In the Dayton game, it was a play that was set up for David McCormick. Didn't work, but it was set up for Dave. In the Iowa State game, and and Jason Jet Newell actually via via GIF explained how it wasn't necessarily on. Now McCormick still took yeah, a yeah, questionable yeah, yeah, shot, yeah. but point being, you're right. They did go to Dave. Yeah, uh, in the Iowa State game, it was Dwan Harris. Yep, at the end, and he got it. And then it was Oklahoma game. It was Christian Brown, and they said in the post game it was not actually the play. Initially, was going to be run to try to get Jalen a basket. So we have all these different. I'm trying names. to picture. Where Jalen would have been, because I mean that was a it, it looked for the world. It looked like it was set up for Christian Brown because it was just a beautiful shot. It wasn't like the play broke down and Ochai just grabbed the ball and tossed it to to Brown behind the line. It looked it, 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 at the very least Christian had to be thought of as an option, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think uh, you know, especially in a late game scenario, you have to tell everyone like everyone should be ready to be an option. Yeah, but it, it, it certainly didn't look like a broken. Play. No, it didn't. I, I just think it's funny because clearly you would think like, oh, we have this National Player of the Year candidate. We've taken all these late-game scenarios. And that, that doesn't mean that they haven't tried. Like with Ochai, he did have, like, the shot that they hit before. Was that uh, the layup? Well, they ended up hitting two. It was two free throws. But um, the shot that they took before the Dewan Harris one. Oh, against Iowa so State. They, yeah, it was Ochai taking the shot. He got fouled, took two free throws, hit him. And then it was Iowa State scoring and then Dewan going down. And also before Dewan got the layup, it was Ochai bringing the ball up yeah. and then giving off to Dewan. And, and Ochai also had Passed two. It to Christian Brown. Yeah. Well, and he also had two of the biggest shots late in the tech game. Yes. He, can, he canned a three and then had the driving layup. Yes. So I, I think, like, if you're ranking the best options late in the game, like, clearly Ochai is so efficient. Like, you're going to go to him. And there will be at some point if, if that, again, presents itself. Like, eventually he will get one. Um, I just think it's it's very interesting that it's almost almost 2008-esque a little bit where it's just like we don't really know, at least prior to Mario becoming Mario, where yeah. it's like we don't know who's going to take the last shot, and that's just kind of a, a fun conversation. So I want to yep. have that with Matt Tate. Uh, he'll join us in about four minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Normally, we're joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com on Tuesdays, but we had a short show Tuesday, so we're bringing him on today. This is the NSMA Kansas Sports Writer of the Year, Matt Tate. Matt, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very kind of you to say that, um, but also very kind of you to have me on Thursday because... Uh, you know, I, I love coming on with you. I love going on with Nick. I love, I just, I love your show, man. And, and so I, uh, I don't like those weeks where I almost miss out. So, uh, you, you allowed me to find a slot here and I'm pumped about it. And as I mentioned before we came on, it's almost the weekend now. So this is new territory for me. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Uh, totally different. Um, totally. I don't know. I, instead of it being a you know on a on a day where there's usually games or it's before the game and we have to kind of speculate the week ahead, now we we're we're in the middle of things, right? We get to talk about the Oklahoma game and whatnot. Um, something that I was just talking about on the previous segment, 
is after this Oklahoma game where you have Christian Brown taking the last big shot of the game, and, and we found out in the postgame that the play, the, the main option was actually Jalen Wilson. Um, the other games that you've had this year, you could say two. If, if you want to do three with the Stephen F. Austin game, it'll even make my point even more. Um, the Dayton game, the option you were going to late uh, on your last possession was David McCormick. And then in the uh, Iowa State game, your last second layup came from Dewan Harris. And then, like I said, if you want to add the Stephen F. Austin game, it's another option. It's Remy Martin on that step back three. Um, I, I guess, uh, is this one of those classic teams of who's going to have the ball at the end? Or do you think that it just happens to be all these different guys and that, you know, when, when push comes to shove, it's, it's probably going to be Ochai? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think it's great for them that they have those options and that they have a bunch of different guys that aren't afraid to take shots in those moments. I mean, you, every team needs that. But, but I do think that if, you know, if you were trying to pin anybody down, whether it was self or, or even a player on the team, um, maybe even fans, if you were trying to pin somebody down and say, who do you want to have the ball? Who's the right play? Who's the guy that should have the ball in his hands late? Um, I, I would think most people would still say Ochai right now. Um, you know, the one that would be really interesting to see in a poll of that would, would be Remy Martin. Um, but obviously the way he's gone the last couple of weeks with that injury and just not being out there a ton, even when he has played, you know, I don't know that everybody would feel that right now. I would imagine if you asked that question before the season, Remy would have probably won it going away. Um, but now that you've seen what Ochai can do and, and when you consider the fact that, you know, yeah, Christian Brown hit the shot, but who made the play for him? Ochai. Dewan Harris made the layup, but who made that play for him? Ochai. Ochai originated everything or, or, you know, started everything, and it all originated with him, and he had the ball in his hand. If at any of those any of those moments he saw daylight or, or could get to the rim or pull up and have an open jumper, he would have probably taken that shot. So I do still think it's him, and uh, I, I think it's a credit to everybody, though, that, that this is a group that's not only okay – knowing that it's him, but also a group of guys that's, that's, that's going to stay ready and understand that. And Christian Brown was great about this after the game, but, I mean, he said, you know, bottom line is Ochai is the best player in the country, in my opinion, and, and we expect him to make the right play in those situations. Sometimes that's going to be him taking the shot and hitting a big shot, and other times that's going to be make, making a pass. And either way, he's going to make the right play, and we trust him to do that. So th- that, that gives you a glimpse into what, what they all think about it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm no uh, Division One college basketball coach, but from a distance, if it were my money, I would absolutely start with him and, you know, the ball in his hands and, and, and kind of build from there. So you're basically saying it's the, you know, instead of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, it's the six degrees of Ochag Baji for all these winning plays. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, you know, uh, I don't remember. You know, I know I know in the Dayton one, I know that that was Christian Brown through the, uh, through the entry pass to Dave. Don't really remember what happened before that. I think Ochag might have thrown it inbounds or something like that, but but either way, we, we know that one was for Dave the whole way, and it just didn't work um, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, and then what else do we have? We have the Remy Martin one against uh, Stephen F. I, I, I think he had the ball in his hands, didn't he? He started there and, and uh, kind of dribbled into that. Mm-hmm. So um, late, late clock, if I remember. And, uh, you know, 
that, that's a guy who's hit a bunch of those shots in his career. So, um, so yeah, not entirely Ochai, but, but a lot of those plays, even though, you know, he didn't hit the shot, a lot of those started with him and, and, uh, you know, it makes sense. He's reliable. He's, uh, he's, he's a dual threat option in terms of he can, you know, elevate and knock down a jumper from pretty much anywhere, or he can put it down and, and get to the rim and, get both feet in the paint and whether that means he finishes in there or that opens up help and has, he can dish it off to somebody that's you know that's opening up options too so the, the fact that he's just uh just so reliable and so smart and such a such a versatile type of player it makes a lot of sense that you would want him at least involved and and if, if things aren't going to start with him then you know he's going to factor in there somehow yeah i i um i agree with you and i i don't you know this isn't something that it really matters that much as long as you're getting the best option. That is the most important thing. This isn't, you know, first take where uh, if LeBron doesn't take the last shot in, you know, a finals game, it's, you know, what right, right, right. or something, you know. So uh, I just I just thought it was kind of an interesting uh, note or nugget. But um, Jalen Wilson. Yeah, don't you think, don't you oh. think, though, that, that, that if there was a poll preseason, Remy would have won that thing with like 70-some percent of the vote? Yeah, 100% because of the fact that yeah. he is such a good creator. Um, with the ball right. in his hands that if you know if, if you don't have somebody that you can just get it to on a set play or something like he can just make it happen plus he was the unknown no KU fan had seen him in a KU uniform and they love those guys you know so um yeah I think and and look like fast forward six weeks um in, entering March it's possible Remy could win a poll then too I mean we, there's still a lot of time left in this season and so may, maybe Maybe he's still got that in him and can can fill that role if needed. But um, but Ochai's done it and and uh, continues to do it at a high level. And um, you know, you, you just know that 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 he's going to make the right play. And it doesn't mean it's always going to work out. But I do think you know he's going to make the right play. Yeah, there's March Malik, maybe March Martin coming up uh, as well. There you go. Um, there you speaking go. of Remy, and I, I was going to bring up to Jalen Wilson, been playing really well, and he had another good game against Oklahoma. Who do you think is more important to the ceiling of this team, to them becoming that potential Final Four national champion contender? Is it Jalen playing like he has been, or or is it Remy Martin? Man, probably if you had to answer, you'd say both, right? I mean, I think right now you've gotten Jalen going again, and 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 he's at, in a in a situation where he. He, he looks like he feels good again, and he's attacking, and he's confident, and he's aggressive, and um, obviously he's producing as well. So, you know, when you combine that with, with what Christian Brown and, and Ochai have been doing all year, really, uh, all of a sudden you got a pretty nice three-headed monster that everybody expected you would have. So the question then becomes, where does Remy fit in there, and can he fit in there? And I, I think the answer is definitely that he can. Um, he's got to get healthy. That's obviously a factor right now, and and there's still some some time that needs to pass for him to fully feel comfortable in in what's going on here. I think. I mean, I I don't know that it needs to be made more than that, but I mean, this is a dude who's played 17 games or not even. You know, I mean, he's he's missed a few now, so he's played what a dozen games for Bill Self. I mean, like to expect anybody to to have that kind of you know, sorry, to expect anybody to have that figured out in a dozen games is 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 ridiculous. I just don't think that's that's nearly enough time. So give him twenty, twenty-five games, and and maybe you know maybe it's easier to do then, and maybe it becomes a thing where the more reps 
the better it is, the more comfortable you are, and things just click. And so this injury and him not being on the floor the past couple of weeks and, and all of that is really hurting that. It's cutting into that. But I do think that a healthy Remy Martin takes this team and gives it a higher ceiling because of what he can do. Um, his speed, his quickness, his, his clutch gene, his shot-making ability, and, and the fact that he's just another threat out there that, that people have to account for. So, yes, he's critical, but, but I think you – I would probably, to answer your question, I would probably say it's Remy, but I would say it's Remy only if you were allowing me the assumption that Jalen's there now and he's arrived, and this is what you're going to get from Jalen the rest of the way. Because you know that's what Ochai and, and, and Christian have been. So if you say now that, that, that Jalen Wilson is in that same category with those two guys, then, then I think you have to say Remy because I think Jalen's figured it out. And, and good for him, man. I mean, it, it did not look good early. He looked like a totally different player. He looked lost. He looked frustrated. He looked uh, apathetic. There were, there were so many things that weren't working in his favor. And, uh, you know, he stuck with it. Every time we asked about it, whoever we asked about it, whether it was self or his teammates or whatever, they all said his attitude's great. His attitude's great. He's staying in there. He's, you know, he's going to be fine. And they believed in it. And I think their belief in him allowed him to, to kind of pull himself through that. And that's massive. I mean, that's massive. So, um, at this point, you know, I feel like it's a pretty safe assumption that he's that he's there. He's arrived, and and uh, I do think Jalen Wilson can still take it to another level. I think I think he's got a chance to continue to uh, to maybe you know make this uh, a season that continues to build, and he continues to to add wrinkles to, and becomes better even as the weeks go on. Uh, I don't think this is his ceiling by any means, but I think he is. He has finally figured out what this team needs him to be and where he needs to, to, to perform and how he needs to perform. And so you just assume that that's where it's at now. And, and if that's the case, then it, it becomes all about how do, you, how do you fold Remy in there as well and get him to where he's producing and, and happy and, and, and you know, uh, productive and all of those things. Because it, it's, it's not a given that any of it's going to happen, but – it does take time, and, and, and I do think that if all four of those guys can get going, I mean, I know that's a pretty big ask really for any team, but, but especially for this team as they're kind of constructed. Uh, if all four of them get going, though, and they figure out how that chemistry works and how it all comes together, their ceiling's, their ceiling's really high still, and I, I think they can do anything they want. And even more than that, I don't know that it even matters who that fifth guy is then at that point. If it's Mitch, great. If it's Dave, great. If it's Zach Clements or KJ Adams, great. If it's another guard, even great. You know, I just think that that foursome would be would be so formidable. So, um, I I think Final Four stuff, it, it's got to be Remy. I think he's that X factor. But but again, that's only because I think Jalen is is such a critical part of it that that you don't even get to ask the question if Jalen's not doing it. Yeah, I, I, I am kind of starting to wonder, like, maybe you just need, in some order, like, two of those three between Jalen, Dave, and, and Remy to, to kind of hit their peak. If, if you can just get two of the three, maybe that's enough. But I don't know. Maybe they, they do need um, three of three. I, I guess we'll find out. But with Remy specifically, right now he obviously has not um, been getting a ton of maybe minutes that you would have expected in the preseason. He didn't play over that final stretch of the game for KU against Oklahoma 
it's a lot easier to, or it's a lot more difficult now that Jalen Wilson is playing well to try to find a a starting spot to re-enter Remy Martin for. I guess is, is do you think that's ever going to happen again this year? Will Remy Martin be a starter again? And if so, for who? Yeah, it's possible. But I tell you what, I, if if it's me. Uh, and if you can get the buy-in from him, I love him as a six man. I do. I think that I think that as long as you can sell him on, hey, look, you're still going to play 28, 30 minutes, and and you know, our, all of a sudden, this roster is not nearly as deep as as people once thought it was. And and we're you know, if you're self talking to him, you're going to say like, we're going to ride with our seven or eight guys. And you know, these freshmen, they'll be there if we need them. They'll be there in spot minutes. The foul trouble could could be a factor, but. But for the most part, you're still going to get 28, 25 to 30 minutes, man. And, and uh, what we need from you is we need our, our, our core group to go out there and, and start things off right. And then when I put you in, I want you to go gangbusters out there. I want you to be crazy. I want you to be you. I want you to, to have fun. I want you to bring energy. I want you to score. I want you to play as hard as you can defensively and try to play right and, and do the right things and carry out the right assignments. And, and, you know, you, he, I mean, I still think it's within the realm of possibility that he could win sixth man of the year, maybe not nationally, but in the Big 12, if that's the role moving forward. So, you know, I, I don't know how you answer that question because I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a, again, you, you, that has to, if that scenario were to play out, you have to get the buy-in from him. And I, I think he'd give it. I really do. I don't know him that well, obviously. We've only been around him a little time. But I do think from what I've, learn from talking to him and talking to others who know him and knew him before here. I do think it's genuine that he wants to win, and, all, and that's all that matters. Um, of course he would love to score 25 points a game, but he's done that. You know, what he hasn't done is win and win at a high level. And so I think the buy-in would be, would be, would be doable there, and, and I just don't think it's that much of an ask. I mean, you're still going to tell him he plays his minutes, and, and oh, by the way, unless he's been covering his freaking eyes with a bandana, it sure looks like Jalen Wilson's pretty good as a starter. So why would you take him out? You have to start with a big man, so so you can't not have Dave out there. Uh, I mean, I guess you could, but I don't think it's the smartest move by any means. And uh, and, and you know what Ochai and, and Christian Brown are going to give you. So then the other question becomes, is are you going to start him over Dewan Harris? And, and I just don't think so. I think Dewan's the perfect piece to run a team. Um, that's what he prefers to do. That's what he's – He's best at, and, you know, I mean, in addition to that, he scored seven of their first nine points the other night. So it's not like he's incapable of scoring and being a factor in that way, too. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a whole different thing, man. So uh, I, I would love it. and If I were a fan, I would embrace this. If I were on the team, I would embrace this. I would love to see what it looks like if you could get that buy-in from Remy to be the sixth man and just to say, go nuts, man. Just come in and be that guy, that spark. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's done it at the beginning of games as a starter, too, so it's obvious he can do that. But, but uh, when you do it as a sixth man, there's just a whole different role, right? It's, it's like that's part of that role. Um, anyone that's starting, you got ten players on the floor, and, and in some ways they're all supposed to have that energy because it's the start of the game. But it's, it's a skill. It's an art form to, to be able to bring that as a guy coming in off the bench and not having that that – um, starting lineup introduction adrenaline and, and the, the, the juice right before the ball's thrown up for the opening tip and all that stuff. I mean, that, that, those things factor into the, the, the juice that guys play with out of the, out of the gate, those starting, starting five on both sides, you know. So 
to be able to pull that off coming in cold off the bench is, is a much harder thing to do, I think. And so um, you look at what Remy does best, and that's it. He brings energy, and he's a little bit wild. And, and so I, I think he's tailor-made for that role. And, and, again, it doesn't mean it will work. It, it doesn't mean he would even like it. But I think if you can sell him on it, I think it could be a great thing for this team. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world and at KUSports.com. Matt, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, very quickly, what was the last thing you scanned a QR code for? Oh, man, good question. Uh, it was like a menu at a restaurant. Um, that seems to be the most common. Yeah, I'm, I'm, now I hate that answer. Um, I, 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 there was just the other day I had one, and I don't remember what it was exactly, but, um, yeah, it was a menu at a restaurant, man, and, and – I'm a fan. You know, as a newspaper guy, I'm still a, a big believer in, obviously, the, the printed product and, and people holding the paper in their hands and all that. I love our online product and, and the versatility that that brings and all that we can, we can offer with that. But I still love the paper, and, and a lot of people do. Um, but having said that, I, I, I'm, all, I'm all, all for these QR codes with the menus because I think Menus change so often, and and they get dirty, and you got everybody handling them, and you know, it's just it's just not necessary. So you slap the QR code on the table, you present it well, everybody can get it. You know, you don't have to worry about if there are enough to go around and all that stuff, and you can update it pretty quickly through the PDF or whatever it is. I mean, that's to me that's a no brainer. So I, I, as a newspaper guy, even though that that kind of runs counter to what I'm saying, it it. I am fully in support of the uh, the QR menu. It's uh, it's a good thing. So, um, what are some other answers, though? Have you gotten any others? I, I mean, I I just literally like a day or two ago, I had another one, but I can't remember what that was. That's the first time I've ever asked somebody via rosters um, at a high school via this. But yeah, Lawrence High does their QR code or does their roster via via QR code. But I've never. That's the first time I've ever asked it on um, on. Uh, okay. One last thing, but our, our one of our broadcasters, Sam Speck, informed me that Lawrence High uh, does their rosters via QR code. Yeah, you know that 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 rings a bell. I, I, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure that that wasn't happening at Oklahoma the other night. We got a packet of notes and you know the whole thing, but but there may have been something QR Cody um, happening the other night because I feel like it was just a day or two ago that I that I most recently scanned one. I just can't remember what it was, but. Um, but yeah, the menu's it. I mean, they're they're everywhere now, and they're probably going to be everywhere anyway. And and um, you know, there are there are newspapers that 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 have QR codes now. Speaking of newspapers, and uh, I don't hate that idea. I think there's a chance that that we could explore that that idea. And and uh, you know, maybe maybe it takes you even easier. You're you're sitting there reading the paper because you're an old school paper guy, and you or gal, and and you and you're. You're holding it, but you know there's more to this. You know, you know there's video of the post game. You know there's there's blogs. You know there's um, all kinds of different things, photo galleries that aren't in the paper, et cetera, et cetera. Click that QR code on your phone, and and, and all of a sudden, you don't even have to lo- type in a URL. You're just there, man. I mean, like it's it's not that that's not like uh, that's not like traveling to outer space or anything, but. It's uh, it's definitely engaging in a different way with with readers who traditionally are print readers. So, uh, I like the idea, and, and I am, uh, I don't think they'll ever call me Captain QR Code, but I'm a fan. Let's say that. He is Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, thank you so much for the time, as always, man. 
All right. It was a good Thursday. I think we all made it like it was a Tuesday. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. See you in a few days. That's right. But now it'll be a short week next time we talk to you. I can't wait. Can't <laughs> wait. Uh, thanks again, Matt. You bet. Take care, guys. Yep. That's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com. In the KLWN app with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson will be joined by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports coming up in about 15 minutes from right now. We've got to update, though, our stock market report. Uh, last time we updated this was about two weeks ago. Can I retire yet? No, you cannot retire. Um, you have about an $852 evaluation. So if I, I died this weekend, that would be enough money to retire. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's hold true. Until the end of my life. You'd have a fun little weekend, too. Yeah. What would you do with your $852 if you knew you were going to... This well, is going to be so cryptic. Please don't that, actually die this no, weekend. No, what was that movie? What if I do? <laughs> I'm going to feel so bad. <laughs> I brought it up. I know. Um, well, I can't remember that movie. It was about the writer who was basically trying to kill himself by having one last crazy go in Las Vegas. Um. I didn't see it. This sounds like a very interesting uh, Yeah. Um, let me Google it real quick. Okay, so what are the... Like, you have till midnight on Sunday, basically. the Sunday, When Sunday turns to Monday, I should say. Um, I would, if I were you, I'm 100% going to the Chiefs game. I think it was just called Leaving Las Vegas. So would you go to Vegas? Yeah, a man loses his family, begins to drink himself to death, goes to Vegas, blah, blah, blah. Um... No, uh, well, no, no. I, I'm kind of a homebody. I, I'd, mm-hmm. you know, hang out. I'd, I'd have some nice drinks. I, that's what I'd probably do. I'd probably You're like the nicest bourbon. Yeah, you yeah, have. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get a real nice. <laughs> if I knew I was gonna die, well, if you're getting the whole Sunday bottle, night, that's gonna take up the entirety of the money, probably. Like, like I, I'm talking yeah, like like a six hundred seven dollars. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. But if you're just getting a glass of it just to try it, you yeah. can do many other things. You have um, to budget it out. I mean, it's so there's so little to do. It's so much. Dying at this time of year is almost like having a birthday in the winter. The only thing you can do is go bowling. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I wouldn't want to go to the Chiefs game. It's going to be so damn cold. Well, that's, the, that's the issue. It's like eight hundred dollars won't even get you a suite at the Chiefs. What game, do you right? think they would? What do you think I would tell? Like, if if there was a huge parking or like traffic jam leaving the tra- the Chiefs game Sunday night, and I was like, <laughs> can you guys hurry it up? Far. I'm going to die in four hours. Yeah. Can you guys hustle? <laughs> Now, yeah, that would suck. Or I, I just, yeah, or I just flat die in the car, and there's this massive investigation, and you have to come up with the podcast, going, no, no, he knew it was going to happen. Yeah. We planned this. Don't like, worry. They're like, wait, so you, you're saying you planned this, and you, you yeah. didn't do anything to prevent yeah. it? Yeah. Now I'm going to jail. Yeah. It's a whole ordeal. Let's make sure this doesn't happen in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Back to okay. the eight hundred dollars I have in the fake. college basketball stock Yeah, you have eight hundred fifty-two is your like total value right now between what you have in stocks, yeah, and cash. What you're going to sell this week, what you're going to buy. Um, I have about eleven hundred forty-seven, so I'm up. But um, I some of my prices dropped a little bit. So we both have Duke, and Duke has not going to tailspin. Would be way too harsh, but they lost to Miami. Coach K leaves and. 
Um, At least Coach K is still reprimanding opposing players. Yeah, it, I, I guess from that standpoint, like, you still got it. You know, you don't have to question if uh, if he should have retired last year because he's, he's still playing the hits. Still, he's still got the energy to ride that high horse <laughs> yeah, right does. onto the court. Yes, he does. Um, so they're down a little bit from where they were last week, but they're still up overall from where they were at the beginning of the season. We both have Michigan State. They were up for a while now they're basically right to where they were in the preseason. They're slightly below it. I, I still think that'll go back up. Um, Houston, this is going to be one I'm actually going to sell. I, I got in on them at 2190 to start the year. They got up to as high as 2748 last time we did this. I sold off a couple shares, then I sold off a couple more. Now I'm down to just five shares from 10. They went down even more. They had another player get hurt after one of their best players was already announced out for the year. And now they went down a little bit more. I'm finally hopping off the Houston. I think they're a really good team, but I think I got them to as high as they can go. So I'm going to sell the rest of my Houston stock. Um, then I have Kentucky, who is up big time. And they are surging right now. Kentucky yeah, they're looks on, so good. They're, yeah, they're really, really good. I think Oscar Shibway might be the National Player of the Year leader right now. I mean, and and I mean, every good reason for ESPN picking game day for that game at Allen Fieldhouse. And that that's... At one point, KU was like fourth in Ken Palm, and Kentucky was like 23rd, and you were like, well, but this is two really good teams coming up in a week. Yeah, so um, I, I really like that one, and, and I'm going to keep going with it because I, I think they just keep getting better and better. Uh, North Carolina went up, down, up, and now they're down again. I'll, I'll stick with it. Oregon's figuring out in Pac-12 play, but they're still really down for me. Syracuse, about where I bought them, and then my most recent buy was Wisconsin, who has gone up from sixteen seventy nine a share to eighteen fifty one? So that's been a nice little profit early on so far for you. Texas started like as a slight increase. Now they're to a slight decrease, but they're they're still right around it. The big one is always Milwaukee, and that one now it looks there, like there's no yeah. chance that we were just kind of hoping that would get back above zero, so I could sell mm-hmm. at least something. Even for anything. It's gone from minus. For I think the last time we talked, it had gone from like minus five to minus four, and we were like. Eh. And then now it's at minus eight, so it's done. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee's got nothing, and they that um, I keep forgetting his name. But if if that five star guy who turns out to get drafted this year, he may not even play the rest of the year because they're just awful. Yeah. Okay, you have Seton Hall as well, who's down a little bit, and you're gonna sell all ten shares. I'm selling Seton Hall because back. I want to buy uh, my analyst, who we have on once a week, mm-hmm. Jesse Newell. Um, was a big, big believer in this kind of. I'm not going blindly with what he says. I was eyeing them anyway. This um, them being Loyola Chicago, um, because I, I liked where they were heading on Ken Palm, and then he kind of mentioned uh, how the Porter Mosier system is still alive and well there. They're a very efficient team. They're still not in a particularly impressive league. So I'm going to go ahead, and I believe if I use. If I sell all my Seton Hall and then use the cash that I have left over, I will have just enough to get 10 shares of uh, Loyola Chicago, who I believe is currently sitting at 1914. That is correct. That's $191.40. We're going to do that. Okay. Um, The other two teams you have, by the way, Creighton, who's up slightly, Arizona, who's up a little bit as well. Um, I am going to buy, after I sold my Houston stock, I, I... tempted by as we were talking earlier i mentioned how oklahoma teams are shooting 40 percent against them on three that is not sustainable you could be the worst three-point defense in the country you ain't gonna give up 40 percent from three you're just not like 
They're also second in the conference. Yeah, in really unlucky. Well, they're second in the conference in three-point rate allowed. So they're allowing low amounts of threes. They're, they're hitting. They're hitting. So, like, I'm very tempted to buy Oklahoma, especially coming off, you know, a loss to Kansas, which they, they very easily could have won. They're at 16-63. Here's the issue. They're playing Baylor at home on Saturday. They're playing at West Virginia on Wednesday. They're playing at Auburn, who's a top 10 team, next Saturday. So you might wait. It yeah. might not be a bad idea to wait until after that Auburn game. But the problem is if they go 2-1 and one in that stretch, screwed, they're, they're you know? way up. So, but, but the other thing here is if, if they... They could lose to Baylor by two or three, and their stock would yeah. go slightly up. I'll say they could this. lose to Auburn by seven, and their stock would go up. Warren Buffett has advised for a long time: don't just don't mm. wait for a crash just so you can get something cheaper. If you think in the long run, now of course we're not investing for the long run, as in retirement and waiting until we're in you know sixty five, sixty eight years old. We're investing. There is a deadline here, and that is sometime in March or April. Um, so, but Warren Buffett has long said, don't just wait for something to crash. If you think it's a long-term going to rise in value, you need to invest. Mm. And who am I to question Warren Buffett? Then again, you know? Warren Buffett's never done anything where it's like, well, yes, but you have to cash in your whole portfolio in <laughs> what the first week. Are we running this through the national title game? Yep. So yeah, Warren Buffett's never done anything where it's like, okay, Pick everything. By the way, you got to cash in your whole portfolio the, you know, the first Monday in April. But yeah. that is for whatever it's worth. I that's not a bad. If if you think long term, um, like if you think long term, they're going up anyway. Then they're probably good enough to at least hang. Go one and two in that stretch and hang with Baylor and Auburn. All right, you've convinced me. I'm I'm buying five. Shares of of the stock sixteen sixty three a share eighty three dollars. I have uh, I don't know like eighty dollars left over. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a little bit more too, and I'll buy five shares of St. Bonaventure. So I'm doing two buys this week. St. Bonaventure was a preseason top twenty five team. Brought back all their starters. Brought back like the top six or seven in the rotation. They were an NCAA tournament team last year. Got a single digit seed, and they've been kind of meh. Um, but all the teams they've lost to are pretty good teams, like Connecticut, top 20. Virginia Tech is 31st. They lost to Dayton, who are 70th. But as we've chronicled with the KU game, Dayton started way down there, and they continue to rise. I, I look at their upcoming schedule. They have a, a pretty easy schedule upcoming. I think they could start to get in a flow. I'll, I, I think at St. Bonaventure, it's, it's not going for a ton right now. It's going under $10 a share. I think they can get up to 11 or 12 or something that'd be a nice little buy for me so did i ever tell you about my connection to, i have two friends with somewhat connection one bigger than the other connections to saint bonaventure no you did not both of it well I, i'm not sure i'd call it so marcioni mm-hmm. you're marcioni who, oh, I, I wouldn't call him a friend i'm friendly with him but we don't like hang out or anything i don't have his <laughs> number but i i he's a you know friendly acquaintance mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he went there, so we both a friendly acquaintance of ours, Jim Marcioni. I think uh, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, went there. Okay, and then one of my buddies, uh, Connor, back in the early 2000s, way before you remember, every year around the tournament, Mountain Dew would start releasing special bottles, and under the cap, you got a team name. Okay. And if the team name wound up winning the national championship, you mail that in and you get a free bit of merchandise oh that's cool uh, my buddy connor got a mountain in in 2002 got a mountain dew label or a mountain dew a cap with maryland 
send it in. And the, the result, I don't know if he picked this or if it was just what was sent to him, but he got a St. Bonaventure jersey. <laughs> That's cool. Yep. I love it. All right, uh, we're going to talk with Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports in just a few minutes here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And we're joined now by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports and Fog.net. Um, it didn't seem like Bill Self's reaction in the postgame in, in talking about Remy Martin uh, and that the knee played a factor into Self's decision, not playing him down the stretch. But do you think it's still impacting Remy, Michael, and his play that I guess you could argue in turn, if the play's not there because of the knee, did lead to maybe him not seeing the court over the final stretch of that game? Yeah, I think overall it's all very nuanced, right? The knee impacts his level of play, and his level of play impacts if Bill Self wants to play him more. And I think that you look at what's kind of happened for Remy where, you know, he's kind of had different phases of the season, right, where he's kind of got the adaptation there earlier in the year Then as kind of December winds down, it seems like he's kind of, finding a groove, even if it doesn't look like maybe you thought in terms of statistical numbers. And then he has the bone bruise, which if you look it up, like it's very painful and it takes several weeks to recover. And so he took about 10 days uh, in between games and was able to play against Oklahoma. And Self has maintained that if Remy Martin feels good, he'll play. And if he doesn't, then he won't play. And he felt good enough to give it a go. But I think that it really showed that he hadn't practiced much over kind of that two-week stretch where, you know, the sharpness wasn't there. There were certainly some moments that looked like the old Ernie Martin in terms of just defensive intensity, um, missing assignments on offense, which I think led to self not necessarily trusting him in a close game, which I think you look at the way that KU approaches things, right? Self doesn't necessarily stick to a certain rotation every game. He's trying to mix and match and find the best way to win each game. So I think overall it's all very nuanced why Ernie Martin didn't play as much. But in terms of like long-term stuff, I'm not as concerned about it because I think that we've seen that I think Remy Martin's willing to adapt to it, and I think that Self is willing to at least give a little bit of rope to Martin when he plays. Is that the biggest changer to what the ceiling could be for this team, uh, what they're getting from Remy Martin, or do you think it is a different player like maybe Dave or Jalen Wilson? Yeah, that's a good question. I do think that Dave is important, but I think time in and time out, like you look at what, what wins in March, and it's guard play. And KU has two elite wings and you know, Ochai Baji and Christian Brown, who are, you know, two of the top three players in the Big 12 in terms of field goal percentage. But you need guys to facilitate. And what Remy Martin does for this team is allows him to play really well in transition. Um, there, some of the passes Remy Martin makes in transition are awesome. And he gives KU some easy points because of that. And I think that KU, for its ceiling, will be at its best when Remy Martin is playing at his best. And even if you compare the impact of Dave McCormick playing at his best and not having a great Remy Martin, having a great Remy Martin and not having a, you know, a good Dave McCormick, I think having a better Remy Martin is better than Dave McCormick because when Remy Martin is at his best, he brings so many things that KU doesn't have with other players, where with Dave McCormick, at least he's a big body and he can still do things when he's out there, even if he's not playing at his best. When Remy Martin isn't playing at his best, it really slows KU down. They aren't able to execute as much, and it makes life hard on some of the other players because more gets put on their plate, whether it be defensively, whether it be trying to create and execute in the half court. So I think Martin is definitely the one that kind of sets the ceiling for KU. Well, it's definitely interesting because we've seen KU be at their best offensively when Remy Martin 
is is certainly at his best and and kind of organizing the offense and orchestrating everything. Um, but something we were talking about in the open here was the the fact that KU's defense has been so much better with with David McCormick on the floor, and so mm-hmm. to get David McCormick on the floor means that you need David McCormick playing well offensively. Uh, I, I guess maybe the answer is you just need both. You need one for the offense, one for the defense. But um, as I look at this team and, and trying to figure out what is the role of Remy Martin going to be going forward in a game where he doesn't play over that final stretch of the game, um, certainly Christian Brown and Ochag Baji. And, and, you know, we've been approaching this conversation as who would he replace in the starting lineup, but uh, and, mm-hmm. and I've kind of been asking guests that this week, but I'll, I'll kind of change that up a little bit and just say, well, forget the starting part of it. What about the closing the game? Who, who would Remy Martin replace closing the game for KU? Is it Dewan Harris? Is it Jalen Wilson? Is it playing Jalen at the five, which Self hasn't really wanted to do a ton this year and, and taking out David McCormick? Like, what do you think the solution there is if Remy Martin gets to a point where you do need him in the game to close? Oh, I think it's Dewan Harris, um, without a doubt, because I think you look at what KU has. You know, if you're playing with Jalen Wilson and David McCormick on the floor, you know, David McCormick's not a shooter. He's not going to space the floor. Jalen Wilson, um, you know, shooting percentages have been better, but he's not necessarily someone you think of as a floor spacer. And then if you have Dewan Harris out there with those two, I mean, that's those are three guys right there that aren't really going to space the floor for you, which I, you can have in college, but for you to play your best, I think for KU offensively, they need Remy Martin out there. They need Ochai Baji, Brown, and then I think it is Wilson and McCormick because what Wilson brings you at the four then is someone that's a really, really good rebounder, and especially on the defensive side. And what Dave McCormick is really good at is the offensive glass. Defensive glass is where he needs to improve, and I think those two – complement each other and I think that there is still a little bit of a feeling out process between those two and how can they both play together and play at their best but I think that you need Jalen Wilson out there for his defensive rebounding you need Dave McCormick out there for his presence in the paint and his offensive rebounding and of course I mean you need OJ Bosch and Christian Bryant out there because they're arguably KU's two best scorers and then with Ray Martin facilitating I think it's all kind of about now kind of piecing those players together um, and as much as you know Bill Self likes to Warren Harris and Dwan Harris brings a facilitating aspect to the team. I don't necessarily know if you trust him going down the stretch of a game, whether it be in terms of his shooting offensively, teams being able to go at him a little bit with his size defensively, because as good as he is as a kind of a team defender, one-on-one, I think you still worry about him going against some of those elite, elite players in college basketball. Yeah, it's it's just, a, I think, a very fascinating conversation because of the fact that, and mm-hmm. I agree with you, I think DeWan is the answer, but it's just uh, tough because you're talking about a guy that, uh, Bill Self is described as just being a winner and that he never loses in the scrimmage situations, that he's such an important ball mover and, and maybe their best defender of like the lead guards and uh, gets steals and creates havoc. And it it's just tough to try to take that guy off the court. And it's going to take Remy Martin playing better and, and playing well to even get to that point mm-hmm. where we're having that real conversation. It's just, uh, I think, going to be quite the... I don't know, figuring out as we go on, especially now that Jalen Wilson is is getting his uh, game together. Um, by the way, Grady Dick moving up in the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings today, um, and those came out updated. Is there something that you got a sense from, I don't know, talking to people around the company or anything that went into maybe seeing his rankings, rankings kind of rocket up? Yeah, I think overall just a well-rounded improvement of his game as time has gone on at Sunrise Christian, where... 
you look at kind of what he's been in terms of a wing, you know, scoring, um, being an all-around player, it just seems like he's kind of taken the next level. And at least that's what people have told me. I'm certainly no expert here in terms of evaluating high school recruits, but it seems like just overall game taking another step forward. It's not like he's added a shot to his game, you know, they didn't have before. He's added a jump hook to his game they didn't have before. It's just overall becoming a much more well-rounded player. Um, and now he's the highest-rated player that KU has, at least in the 24-7 sports ratings, which I think says a lot about him and his own improvement, you know, going and passing up someone like MJ Rice, who's kind of that coveted five-star, you know, that uh, certainly a lot of people have wanted. So I think overall he's someone that a uh, well-rounded game, uh, a good wing, and it seems like people kind of tab him for being someone that could be a, a plug-and-play guy early on in his KU career. Derek and I were talking before the show. Um, it seems like this year, the the five star rate, you know, the five star ratings are, are kind of bleeding into those upper twenties now. And then some years they don't get much further past eighteen or nineteen. Is this looked at as a as a deep class? I think in general, uh, sort of. I don't think it's one of these classes that has, like, you know, the, the world class was that with Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. Yeah, the, I don't the, know, I don't know if the high-level talent is necessarily there. I'm just curious, does it go pretty deep with, yeah. with great talent? It seems like it. I mean, you can even look at the guys that KU has signed, right? They've got four of, what is it, top 41 in the country. And so I think that it is. I mean, you can even look at, going down the list a little bit, someone like Ernest Uday, who in the 24-7 sports composite is a five-star and is ranked number 29 nationally, right? So I think overall you look up and down and there is a lot of talent in this class and KU was able to get a good amount of it. Now, maybe not as much as you know a few of the other programs, UCLA and Duke have a lot of high-level guys as well, but it does seem like a deep class. Just I, In terms of how deep, I don't know if I have a, a fair comparison for it. We're talking with Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. On the KU football front, KU added two more in the transfer portal over the weekend with Kai Thomas and Lonnie Phelps. Uh, 24-7 has them graded as, as 88s each, which I believe is the two top players uh, now for what is already a good transfer haul. Uh, what exactly can you explain? Uh, I, I guess we're asking you a lot of like FAQ questions with the 24-7 sports. Yeah. Side, but uh, what exactly does, does that mean, being an 88 from your guys' end? Yeah, of course, definitely. So we've got a few guys that are kind of become, you know, we've got a lot of people that cover the high school recruiting, obviously Alan True, Steve Wolfong, those guys are kind of the best of the best in terms of the high school recruiting rankings. And then we've got kind of a team now that is developed of guys that are doing the transfer portal stuff where they're going in and kind of watching some of their college games of someone like Kai Thomas in Minnesota, where you go through, watch some games, you look at high school track times, and then you're able to kind of come up with the overall uh, rating, which for, you know, in 88, they kind of say as someone that is a high-impact player at the Power 5 level and someone that has significant NFL upside. So you look at someone like Kai Thomas, right, the running back spot, um, really good player and was the leading rusher on Minnesota last year, um, has all the talent, and now kind of bringing him to Kansas, you know, you've got him and Devin Neal making uh, a really solid backfield. And then obviously Lonnie Phelps coming from Miami, Ohio, um, a, a fun nugget for you guys here, you know, 24-7 Sports talked to a, uh, a Mac coach who coached against Lonnie Phelps and said that his kind of go-to moves that allowed him to be so successful were kind of pass rush moves, which I think will translate a lot better than if he was just out here athletically being better than tackles in the Mac. So it seems like some of the stuff that he does is able to translate to what KU football will be playing up against in terms of the Oklahomas, the Texas, TCU, 
programs like that. So overall, two kind of high level in terms of the prospect rating, um, but really high impact guys for what KU football is going to ask them to do kind of this fall. Well, Thomas, how do you think, I guess, his his immediate impact is? Because you, you are talking about a guy that, like you said, he led Minnesota in rushing yards, and he had over 400 yards his last four games, and he was the bowl game MVP. Uh, did you get a sense that, like, what this transfer was about? Because if it's about playing time, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that it's there's not a chance he couldn't have more yards and carries and everything, but certainly when you're in a running back room that already has Devin Neal, that already has Savion Morrison, that has Daniel Hyshaw coming back from injury, Tory Lachlan coming back from injury, I, I have a hard time believing that the transfer would be just about playing time. Uh, did you get a sense of what the transfer was about? Was this wanting to come closer to home or anything like that? Yeah, you nailed it right there. Coming closer to home was kind of, the way it was described to me is that was kind of priority number one. Um, being able to be closer to his dad, his family, um, was really big. And then you look at kind of the vision that Lance Leipold has kind of laid out. It's similar to what they did at Buffalo, where they had two running backs that they really leaned on. And I think there's a saying from the offensive coordinator that there's, you know, you have a pair and a spare, which you've got your pair there in Kai Thomas and Devin Neal, and then you've got your spare in Sevion Morrison. And there are other ways you can get someone like Sevion Morrison involved. You know, in his scouting report with 24-7 Sports, mentioned that he could play out of the slot some, has enough wiggle and good hands that he can do that. He's someone that, with his speed, can take kick returns and punt returns and things like that. So there are ways to get someone like Sevion Morrison involved, along with a Kai Thomas and Devin Neal. And if, I mean, what did last season show us at the end of last season, right, where Devin Neal comes in, then he gets banged up, and at the end of the season, you're looking up and down the roster like, okay, where's the running back going to come from? Guys are going to get banged up over the course of the season, and what this allows is over the course of the season, week in and week out, based on kind of the nicks and bruises guys pick up and the injuries, you're able to kind of play a guy or two more. Maybe Savion Morrison gets more carries than Devin Neal and Kai Thomas one week because those two are kind of banged up after taking a beating against someone like Texas or Oklahoma. So I think overall you're looking at a really deep running back room, but it does seem like there's enough carries to go around. And if you know Lance Leipold and his staff, their, their track record at Buffalo says anything, they can have success with two running backs and keeping both running backs happy. We're talking with Michael Swain here of 24-7 Sports. Is there still more to come, you think, from the transfer portal for KU? Yes, um, not right now. Uh, they, I, my understanding is I think they're full on spots um, going into spring football. But over the course of spring, I, I assume we're going to see some more transfers. They've got some more spots that can open up based on the players that transfer out because of that, that waiver that was passed where up to seven transfers, um, you get those scholarship spots back where it's not capped at 25. So I do expect KU will be able to go after some more transfers um, in the spring. It seems like kind of the big position need. If defensive end was kind of the big need uh, in the month of January, it seems like kind of before summer camp starts, you know, the big thing is going to be safety. Um, you want someone to pair with Kenny Logan there on the back end where they can cover uh, deep on the field, allow Kenny Logan to play coaster to the line of scrimmage. Um, that definitely seems like kind of the biggest position of need. But yeah, KU's definitely not done transfer portal yet. Um, it just won't be until kind of that summer enrollee window opens. Are Kai Thomas and Lonnie Phelps, are, are those supposed to be guys that join the team for spring ball or is that supposed to not come till, uh, yep. like, okay. Good to know. All right. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be on campus. Okay. He is Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. Michael, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Michael, one last thing. I just got a scam telephone call. What do you think they were calling me about? 
Oh, that's a good one, Adam. Uh, car insurance. That's what I've been getting a lot lately. Yeah, they yeah. Wanted you, they're letting you know your warranty has expired <laughs> with your car insurance. Well, I better call them back, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, please do not. Don't All right. do that. All right, I won't. They need your social security number. Um, yeah, if you were a scammer, what would you be? Um, Michael, thank you so much, as always, man. Definitely. Thank you, guys. Always appreciate it. Absolutely. Check out his work at 247sportsfog.net. That's Michael Swain. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We'll be back after this timeout. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. So update for tomorrow, we're going to have high school basketball on the airwaves. Um, we're going to have Lawrence High. They're in the Topeka Invitational right now, and they just the lost. The Topeka Invitational Tournament, and yes, they do use that acronym. Yes, they do. <laughs> we're <laughs> not going to say what acronym they use. Did like a middle schooler come up with this, we're by the just, way? Like, when I was in high school, I went to Gardner-Edgerton, and the big one was um, Spring Hill, and they called it the Spring Hill Invitational Tournament. And it wasn't until I was, and that was through my whole childhood. Oh, no way. It was, it was through my whole childhood, Derek. <laughs> and it was until I was probably a junior in high school and they said, when they decided, wait a minute, let's add the word basketball. So now it became the <laughs> Spring Hill Invitational Basketball Tournament, known, of course, as the Shibit. <laughs> Dude, that is like, what's that movie? Uh, Accepted. Yeah, South yeah, yeah, the, yeah South Harmon Institute of Technology. Oh, my God. Exactly. Honest to God, man, it was through my childhood. It was We referred to ad, as that acronym, Spring Hill Invitational Tournament. You can imagine the acronym. And then, I seriously, man, that tournament was a big deal for Frontier League schools. And and it, it so— oh, I'm sure the high school kids and got and a kick out of it. Oh, it was, it was magical. Mm-hmm. And then finally, finally, I was— a sophomore, junior in high school. I didn't play high school basketball, but I went to all the games. And I go strolling in. I pay my fee. They stamp my hand. I look. I go, oh, it says Shibit this year. Excellent. <laughs> they finally added basketball. I'm glad they didn't put bleep on your hand. Um, so, <laughs> In yeah, many ways. Will, yeah. We will have your uh, TIT game tomorrow with Lawrence High taking on, I don't even know who they're going to be playing. I haven't It'll seen just depend the, on the other the, game. Yeah, the, the, that game is It'll later. It'll either be St. Mary or Topeka High. Um, is that, is that game two. over? I haven't seen. I just saw Lawrence High barely lost 59-57. So that game will be at 5 o'clock. Pre-game will be at 445. It'll be at the end. We'll have a, a shorter RCST, and then we'll have the game uh, over at Hayden High School. Um, so, yeah, be aware of that one for some Friday night high school basketball. We're getting close to the end of the year already. About a month away from getting into substate. Okay, crazy. just FYI, that game, you may have said this already, but mm-hmm. I was looking for it. You, you Did you say that St. Mary's to I did game? not. I didn't see the score. No, no, no. It, it, it tips off at five. Okay. So, so it's it's so we we'll won't, find out we the won't know the um eventually. Yeah, we we won't know the the con- or the result of that contest. They'll get the loser of that contest. Exactly. Yes. Um in the consolation bracket. Okay. Uh by the way, happy birthday, Zach Clements. I tried and tried and tried to look for happy birthday somewhere in our system and could not find it. Um, Can you sing it for us? No. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So we hope you're enjoying your birthday in your boot. Mm -hmm. We hope you're out of your boot soon. 
Do you think Zach Maybe Clemens? Jared Casey takes you out to Applebee's and you get a free nice. dessert and they sing to you for your birthday. There you go. They can sing. Um, are you at this point? I, I don't know how long Clemens is going to be out. I think self said it's like a toe injury or something. He for all described we know, that as, when he described Remy as day to day, he mm-hmm. described Clemens as week to week, which for all we know, like he could just be done for the year. He, he might be. Um, but let's say he is like able to come back in, in three weeks from now or a month from now or something. Like at that point with him already with the rotation continuing to maybe find a little bit more here or there with other guys progressing and, and with him not able to play to, to where he can practice and, and keep getting better and, and keep working with the team. Like even if he does come back from the injury, are you even expecting him to play? Not at all. No, I, I think he I think Clements is officially down to being a blowout only participant. Um and just a guy that I, I do, I'll be honest with you, I hope does not transfer because I, I see something with mm-hmm. him, particularly as a stretch five, which is something that Self has almost never had. At um, I mean, the closest to a stretch five he's ever had was Darrell Arthur, and that's because he played Darrell Arthur as a four I guess when, he, when he ran a two-big man set. I don't think anybody considers Diedrich Lawson a five, but because Doak got hurt, you he kind of was forced to at be. At certain times, yeah, he was that's playing a good the five. Point. But, yeah. um, but I hope Clemens comes back, and I, I you know, I, I think, um, I, I honestly, man, if, if if Uday is the real at that five, then then Clemens could almost be a four, which you'd have a fun team if that's the case. Yeah, Bill Self back to back to the basics with the two bigs. Um, but I would say, um, well, no, I mean a, a four, a more like a, a modern four that plays outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd be he would be the basically modern way to play. Yeah, the way Bill Self used to play. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Like uh, it, it honestly be a little bit like Perry Ellis. You wouldn't have you would four. yeah you wouldn't have two bigs at the blocks. Correct. If you did that, if yeah. you did if you did Uday and um and um and Clements. The, the, every time I say Uday, I want to say Kuse immediately after because Uday and Kuse were the sons of Saddam Hussein. Oh God! So when that war started, those names were always attached together. So let's call him Ernest instead of Uday. <laughs> anyway, Ernest Uday is a, is a recruit for the upcoming class. But the point is, if he's legit at the five, um, Clements would be a would be a hoot at the four. And I I hope so. To answer your question, no, I don't expect him to play anymore except for a blowouts. But I really hope he does not. Uh, transfer. I, I, I like him a lot. I really like him. I, a lot. I'd be very curious with how that would work with him at the four defensively. Um, who knows? Maybe he can. I don't know. I don't know. We'll 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 do that later. But I do think like your point about what his future holds at the center position is going to be very interesting. And you hope he does stay because yes, I, I, obviously Mitch Lightfoot's gone. I, I'm sure some people would say, well, David McCormick has another year. He'll come back. He hasn't been good enough to be drafted. And and I would. You know, I would agree with the sentiment that he's not popping up on draft boards and stuff, but this is a guy who um, I think has his master's degree now or will at the end be, of the year. I'd be pretty shocked. I'm assuming he's going to want to get his pro basketball career and, and, started. And I think people, a lot of college basketball, it, it, I think fans that attach themselves mainly to college basketball kind of make it a zero-sum game where either if you're not a first-round draft pick, it was a failure and you should have come back to college. Um, but... I don't think they 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 follow enough how much money is out there in pro basketball outside of the United States, um, and so I think if you if 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 McCormick has an opportunity, whether it be in the NBA or in the pros, or I mean uh, in Europe, if, if he has an opportunity to go make 
you know, hovering around six figures. And by the way, in Europe, they pay a lot of your living expenses too. So it's not like six figures, but you got to also get an apartment. They usually set you up with an apartment in, in some of the bigger leagues. So I think if McCormick, whether it be in the NBA or elsewhere, look, if he wants to come back, cool. But I, I got to think his mind right now is what's my, what's my best opportunity to go make money playing basketball for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. So, I'm kind of expecting him to be gone after this year, to be completely honest. I'm just, you know, I, I don't know that for sure. It could obviously change. That's just my assumption. Um, so that does open up an avenue for a lot more minutes at the center position. And you say, okay, KJ Adams, Zach Clemens could be back or they could transfer. We've seen, like you said, players transfer all the time. Now, we don't really know, but I think if you were saying which guy would have the edge headed into next year, you'd probably pick Clements of those two. But then you also had the Cam Martin thing in there. Then mm-hmm. you add in Ernest Uday. What if he comes in? And I, I think with Clements, he would be more of a like Tristan and Aruna thing where with Aruna, it was, you know, you come in as a freshman, maybe you weren't expected to play as much and you didn't really, but then you come back and you battle it out as a sophomore and coming into the sophomore year, like that was one of the big position battles. It was who's going to play the four for this team. Could it be Tristan and Aruna? Could it be Jalen Wilson? Yeah. And to that point, we didn't know what Jalen Wilson was because he had uh, to redshirt the year before he like broke his foot or whatever. Um, it ended up being Jalen Wilson, and then at that point, it was like, okay, it's Tristan Aruna. I'm behind this guy who's the same year as me. Now I'll transfer. I think that might end up being the path. Not not saying that he would transfer, but, but for if, Zach if Clemens. He, if he does, yeah. He comes back this next year knowing that all these center minutes could go away. If he gets beat out by Ernest Uday and Cam Martin, and now you're you're still in the similar role you were this year, next year too, yeah. then maybe we're having that conversation. But I, I'm very high on Zach Clements, and I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't agree. think he is going to get buried. I, I agree, and I I, I'm honestly, I think if, if he does get buried, I think it's a good th- like It's not a good thing for him, obviously, but I think if he does get, it get buried, it's because KU is loaded with talent. I Kind of at right least now. at that position. You want to do an an early prediction for the 2022-23 starting lineup just I'll, for the fun of it? I'll go. Um, I'll go. Dewan. Mm-hmm. I God, the tough. It's one. It's hard to think. Like, is Christian Brown going to go? Yeah, that's not, the right? tough one. Yeah. Um, and who would be the two then? I. So you want mine real quick? Yeah. Okay. I got. Uh, I think Dewan Harris, Bobby Pettiford. Oh, how yes, duh. Um. And then I'll put Zach Clements at the five. I haven't shut up all year about how great I think he is, and I mm. forgot about him. After that, it gets a lot tougher. I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. Dewan. I'll go. Pettiford. Christian Brown, if he's here, unless you want to put him at the four. What about Brown, Wilson, Clements, or Brett? Or you would? Yeah. Want see, K, that's maybe the thing. KJ. Like, is Wilson coming back or not? Is Brown coming back or yeah. not? If either of them come back, you pencil them in, obviously, to starting lineup. Otherwise, maybe you go with one of the young freshmen, MJ Rice, Grady Dick. Yeah, that's a tough one. I feel like we're forgetting someone, which I'm gonna feel stupid about. Um, hmm. well, there's, I mean, there's uh the other the um the kid that we always talk about, other than Pettiford. Well, there's Joe Yesifu. Yeah, Yesifu. But I, I think it's pretty clear to me Pettiford is ahead of. Yesifu. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's younger. I don't um, know. Maybe KJ Adams would start at the four position or something next year. But yeah, if if Jalen or Christian come back next year, they're going to be looked at as like the guy on the team. Yeah, I would. Yes, and I would think that you're you're looking at, um, and then you're probably going to add like a grad transfer or something. Yeah, you, that's just how it works. It, now, it, you know? It's so easy to forget about Cam Martin. Was Cam Martin the D two kid? Yeah. So maybe that comes into play, and, and maybe he doesn't turn out to be as as you know 
as legit as we thought. I don't know. I it's tough because I have to think. Look between between Brown, Wilson, Clements, KJ Adams, Cam Martin. I have to think that at least one of those guys, either via deciding to transfer, and if it's a transfer, I don't think it would be Wilson or or Brown, or going pro. Mm-hmm. I I got I can't imagine those five are still on this roster next year, right? No, I don't think so. Because at least one is going to go. I got to think that of those five, it's five, right? Brown, yeah. Brown, Jalen, Cam Martin, KJ. Mm-hmm. Who am I forgetting? Oh, uh, Clements. Mm-hmm. Of those five, I have to think that that you're going to have some transfers. Yeah, you could have or, a transfer. Or a couple guys go, go pro. One guy go pro. Like not all of those guys will be. I, I would agree with you. Um, by the way, I do want to mention last night. KU women's basketball fell to Kansas State. What a what a wild, weird game. They they made a hell of a come. Look, man, when you when you're down as much as you were as they were to a player or to a team that has the national player of the year candidate, they 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 chiseled back. They showed toughness. It just they, I think it was 64-49, yeah, they got four forty seven or something. Th- the third quarter did a man. Yeah, and then 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 or I'm sorry, I think it was fifty four thirty nine, fifty four thirty seven, one of those two, and they ended up. Tying the game at like 59, 59 and then Kansas all. State went on a 10-0 run. Yeah, that, that 69-61 score kind of belies how close things were in the second or in the fourth quarter. Um so this they, is they, KU really got it close and, and and K-State, make no mistake, K-State was sweating. Yeah. And this isn't a setback. You played on the road against a team who was just ranked in the top twenty five. They'll probably be back in the top twenty five next mm-hmm. week. No, you start want to start winning some of these games that are close late, like it happened against Baylor. It happened here. You did just win against Texas, so I don't want to say yeah. that it's not happening at all. Um, but, but this isn't like a setback. Like they're still on the path. If if the goal is to make an NCAA tournament, to be competitive in the Big Twelve, to try to get around five hundred in the Big Twelve, and and to entertain we, people we, and be competitive, then you're if still. We go there. back to the last time this team made the this program made the NCAA tournament. It was 2012, and then they did it again in 2013. Both years, they had 20 or 21 regular season get wins, and they went 8-10 and 10 in conference. I would think 9-9 nine and nine gets you in. I would agree with that. And that, that I think, has to be their goal. 8-10, and 10, I think you're sweating it on Selection Sunday. I think 9-9 nine and nine you're in. And I am the furthest thing from knowing what the bubble would look like or anything in women's college basketball, but you're right. Just history would probably tell you that, and the Big 12 is a very good conference, so I think that'd make you feel pretty good. All right, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.